0: What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? I'm Jeff Fennell, and this is Sports 360. Today, I will be joined by Reggie Pegues, a childhood friend from Hollis, Queens, It's Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. Mom's cooking chicken and collard greens. (laughs) You don't know that song. But what you should know is that my man Reggie is a former professional basketball player and youth coach who more recently has launched several businesses. And these days he spends considerable time empowering others by encouraging them to do the same. I recently caught up with Reggie to talk about his journey and his life's work. I'm telling you, it's a powerful story. So I invite you to stay right here as I catch up with my man Reggie Pegues, two brothers from Hollis, Queens, kicking it on Sports 360. Well, I am am pleased today to have with me on the podcast an old friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Reggie Piggies. Reggie and I grew up in Hollis, Queens together. Uh, Reggie played basketball overseas for a number of years. He did a great deal of coaching, uh, both in AAU and in high school. And he's also a businessman and an entrepreneur, and he's doing some great things in the community. And so uh, Reggie is joining us today to talk about all of that and more, and I'm excited about it. Reggie, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Jess, man. I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful. I'm blessed, man. First, I want to thank you for having me on your show today. Uh, it's really an honor, and uh, it's amazing, but not surprising how far we've actually come, you know, from all the years that we've known each other from growing up in Hollis
0: yeah man and you and i were talking about this uh, a little bit about knowing each other for almost 50 years and that's just amazing when you think about it right 50 years yeah i
1: know right when i thought about that uh, before you you'd asked me on, i was thinking about it i said how long is jeff uh and i actually known each other and that's when i asked you the question i said did, I, did we meet in elementary school or was it Junior high, couldn't remember it. Then you said it was elementary school. Then I realized I said, Wow, that was over fifty something years ago.
0: That's amazing. It really is. It really is. And 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 here's the thing too that's amazing. It's been through social media that we've been able to reconnect, right? And so, you know, that's a blessing right there. But I'm glad to have you on today, Reg, to talk about what for me, from my perspective, is a an extraordinary basketball and life journey that you've had. Uh, And I just want to really get into it and have you share your story, because I think it's a powerful story, man, that talks about the intersection of life and sports. And for you, that sport was was basketball. So looking forward to talking to you about it. And why don't we start here? You know, Reggie, for me, growing up in Hollis with you, you were – what I consider a basketball prodigy, right? You had talent from a young age. Uh, You were always playing up, meaning you were playing with older players. Uh, And I'd like you to share with us to start, um, you know, the relevant points of how you got started, right? When did you first realize you had some talent? Who also recognized that talent that you had And, and how you started developing as a basketball player early on?
1: Well, it started in my parents' backyard, actually. I remember as a kid, uh, my father swore that I wanted to play basketball, and I would just dribble in the yard, but I had no basket, and this was before they had, you know, the pre-fab baskets that you can go to, boys sure. the rest, or whatever, spot. so my father was very ingenious, so he, he took an old gate, and he kind of figured, he looked at a picture, and he kind of made me a backboard and then found a rim someplace, you know, and he, he put it all together. And you remember playing in my backyard. You might not have been playing it back in the early days, but that's where I started in my backyard. And, and little by little, I was really introduced to the game by Steve Shell, who was my sister's boyfriend, and he worked worked with me. taught me the fundamentals. And little by little, I progressed. And that, that park, that famous park that you talk about, 192, um, uh, you know, I went and was able, which was right across the street from my house. So I lived in the park, as you know. I lived, You live a few blocks away, but I lived in the parking. I went over there, and you brought up a point the other day that was absolutely amazing, and you and I were both laughing about it was, and I never really thought about it, but there were two sets of baskets, you know. There were two sets of baskets, but there was just one main court. So I always wanted to play on the main court, but you and I, we started on – the side course that faced a particular street, 204th Street. But the goal was always to, to, to play on that court that was facing Hollis Avenue. Right. And again, through Steve Shell and some other people, the other uh, major guys that were right there in the community, you know, Ike Parker and, you know, Pearl, you know, Pearl Washington and, you know, just guys like that that were just in the neighborhood. You know, the goal was to get over there. So, you know, my thing was I used to, you know, play on the side courts and stuff, but I really would just hang around and hang around on that court, that main court on Hollis Avenue. And uh, I'll never forget one day it just came down to a point where they asked me, hey, you know, they needed, they were short of man, they needed somebody. And uh, they introduced me into the game, and from that point on, I just started playing with the guys, the older guys, you know, on the main court facing Hollis Avenue.
0: Yeah, and as you said when we talked about it, see for me it was clear and 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 for the the rest of us who didn't have the talent that you had but were of the same age, we played on those courts that were facing 24th, right? That's what we called it, right? It was 204th Street, but uh-huh. we called it 24th, right? So, we played on the courts facing 24th, right? But the guys who really could play played on the courts that faced Hollis Avenue. And even yeah. there, there was one yeah. main court, right, the one near the Park House, where yeah. that's really where the games were going on. And I would tell you, Rez, there were times when, you know, we're playing on the on the on on those other side courts, and somebody would make a move, somebody would do something great, and the roar would go up from over there, and we would stop and, and look over there, and there you all balling with them, man. And we're like, look at the Reggie, man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: It caught yeah. our attention. It caught our attention, man.
1: That, that's amazing because actually, you know, again, like I said, you know, you and I grew up together, and um, when you referenced that the other day, I never really looked at—I never looked at it that way. I, I really didn't, you know. I just—I just loved the game so much, and I wanted to play against the best. And you know, at that time, I was like the smallest one. I must have been about maybe uh, what eleven, twelve years old, and I'm playing with guys that were eighteen, nineteen, grown men. <laughs> you
0: know right, and,
1: right. Around and and taking my lumps, but you know, I hung in there, you know, and that's I tell you, that's really where I, I forged my game, that's where I, I patterned my game, I learned a lot of great things and you know, uh just from being in that environment in that, that that hotly contested, you know, type of atmosphere you know i generated a few of my own who's and eyes during the day so it, it was really good it was great to to, to to be that and one of the things that you that you pointed out was um there were times where you could see where crowds would actually gather around that court right and watch the game and uh the one thing that i it, it taught me was i was never really in awe you know of it you know i wasn't afraid of the moment you know what i mean and a lot of times that came from some of the older guys who really knew me and saw my potential before. I couldn't even see it that would it would literally get on me and be like, "Reggie, listen, you need to play. you got to get out here, and, you know I might trying to you know guard a grown man and I might have bit a move or uh, cross somebody over and finished on them and now this big old guy wants to like rough me up and but I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot of life value, you know playing on that court.
0: Right. I'm sure you did. I'm sure you did. Now, what about when you started playing organized ball, you know, on teams, as opposed to playing in the park, playing pickup games? When did that start? And, you know, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, that started when I was about maybe, I think I was 11, about 11 or 12 years old. And that's when um, Ike Parker, who was like, at that time, he was probably in our radius of, of where we live, Ike Parker was probably the most renowned player around, you know, but he lived right sure. up the street and I was best friends with his brother Donald. So he always knew me, saw me, saw me in the park and stuff like that. So out of nowhere, I, I'll never forget out of nowhere, um it was uh, like a fall it was like a fall day, you know, like September or something like that. And Ike just came to my house, he came to and asked my mother, he said, asked her, could I go to a tryout? And it was at St. Paschal's, which was like 112th Avenue, 194th Street. That you know, CYO thing. I didn't know anything about it anything. It was just more basketball. And he was like, listen, you need to come down here and try out for this team or whatever. And he took me down there. And, uh, again, I didn't know none of these guys because at that time, St. Pastor's was a Catholic school, so a lot of the kids that were there were from the school and from that in-lying community. You know the area, of the O'Connell Park, over that sure. way. Sure. And, uh, you know, went in, didn't know nobody, and they put me on the court, and I was going against this guy, John Johnson, who was uh, considered at his age a prodigy for his age. And, you know, Long story short, I just started giving him the business. <laughs> you know, real quick there. Everybody was like everybody was like, Who is this kid? I was just sitting up in the stands. I remember him sitting up in the uh, up in the stands and he's up there smiling. Everybody in the gym is is, is looking and like, Who is this kid? Where he come from? And I'll never forget it was I was making a move towards the basket that was near the doors that entered into the gym and uh the program at that time was run by Father Ernie Ridlaw. And she had come into the the, the, the doors just as I, I'd made a crossover move and took John Johnson to the basket. And I'll never forget, and I can see the expression on his face right now. He just did a double take. He ran over to the coach and said, listen, sign this kid up right now. <laughs> so that's why that's I first started playing organized ball was in CYO, which is the Catholic Youth Organization. And from that, uh, at that particular time, the Gavan the, the family, Jose Gavan Sr. and, uh, you know, Cecil Holler and all these other people from the community, that's when they started launching another uh, uh, league called the Hollis Vitties. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I went. I was right behind Ike. Ike was one of the first original people that played in Hollis Vitties. I came right behind him. He was like a superstar there. I came right behind him. And uh, so now I had some place to play. You know what I mean. I started off the CYO, and then I went over to Hollis Biddies. And at that time, we were playing when we first started. We were playing at Andrew Jackson's on Saturdays morning. So that right. was a awesome experience. So those are like the first two organized teams that I played with.
0: Yeah, and, and Reggie, I just want to say too, you know, you know, we both grew up in Hollis. I was on Francis Lewis, right off Hollis Avenue. You were on Two Fifth, right off Hollis Avenue. So we're a couple of blocks away from each other. And during Mm -hmm. the time when we were growing up, it was a close-knit community, right? I mean, we people knew each other, right? We went to the same schools. We we shopped at the same stores. We walked the same streets. People knew each other. And so some of the things that you're describing quickly got around. You, You know what I mean? The information got around. And I just want to set that stage because it's just important because a lot of times in communities now, they seem to be fractured a little bit, but our community was tight. And so if someone was doing something noteworthy, whether it's in sports or business or whatever, folk knew about it. And so as you started doing these things, it started to be known and to be spread. And so I just want our listeners to understand that's what it was like back in Hollis when, you know, we're talking what? The seventies maybe right the the yeah. you know early seventies, and that's what it was yeah. like so okay, so so you started there c y o at Saint Pascal's and Hollis biddies. you mentioned to me the other day that as part of your you know part of your experience with the Hollis biddies, you went to Brazil at the age of twelve,
1: yes, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> yes, talk about that a and little again, bit, and again, that was one of those things. Okay, because you know it happened for me in junior high school. I was the youngest in junior high school, and I was able to make the the the, the quote unquote Washington team in junior high school, and I wasn't supposed to be there because I was too young. And this they had a traveling team. They got because Mr. Gavan and Mr. Holler and Mr. Westwood, they all worked for IBM at that time, and it was so awesome because we got to go to – we went to Shea Stadium and actually got to stand on the field. And we did some amazing things through their uh, relationships. So they, a, a, a tournament, they were having a, a 15 and under or something like that tournament in Brazil, right? Now, mind you, I had never really been out of the five boroughs. You know, a, a, a day sure. trip for me might have been going to Long Island. To, to visit my sister, right. <laughs> you know, but right. I didn't, you know, talking about traveling extensively, I'd never been on a plane before, you know, none of that. So, again, they were having tryouts for this team, and they, they, were, going, they were going with older guys. And because of my relationships and because Mr. Gazette had known me from the Hollis biddies, I was thrown in there with some of the top players from around the city, and I was able to forge my way to – Make the make the squad. I, you know, in my mind, I always thought that it was a kind of like a pity thing that they they took me because they knew me. But right. you know, later on, having conversations with 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 folks, they they were like, "No, I really urge the right to be on that team." So yeah, we went to we went to Brazil for a week, and it was it was the most phenomenal thing I ever uh, saw. We actually played in an outdoor arena, which I had never seen before. I had never seen so many people. You know, in one place, you know, just cheering or, or booing, and that whole experience—it just opened up my eyes. And, and uh, you know, glory be to God, that that uh, opened up the opportunity for me to understand that there was more than Hollis. That I could travel, I could use my gifts and talents, and I could I can use them in such a way where I could see the world. So that that was the, my first foray of. Being outside the country and, and and playing and those games were like intense, you know, because we were playing against, you know, um, European teams and you know different things and and we weren't kind of used to the way that they officiated the games and because we were Americans there was a little you know animosity there for that. <laughs> right. But right. Uh, we, we made it. We made it to the quarter. We made it to the quarterfinals. But uh, it was it was it was really hard. It, it was hard, and, and you know. But it was an experience that I'll never forget.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean that that when you told me that the other day, first of all, I didn't know about it, and then second, as I thought about it, as a 12 year old from Hollis to be, you know, uh, playing basketball overseas, that had to be something that left a real impression on you. Um, so when you come back, you know, and you you come back, uh, you, you also played in addition to playing for the Hollis Biddies and playing for St. Pascals. What about in school, you know, the the school teams? Tell us a little bit about your experience playing for, you know, whether it's the elementary, junior, high, and we'll get to high school in a minute, but, you know, set the stage for us there as, as far as playing for school teams.
1: Yeah, that was really, really interesting because, as you're aware, we, we were in that transition period educationally. Um, initially, when we entered into elementary school. The sixth grade class was part of elementary school. Junior high school was seventh, eighth, and ninth. You know, it was some kind of hybrid or seventh, eighth, or something like that. But you and I were in the first class of sixth graders that went into junior high school. And, again, you and I attended the same school, and that was awesome. So, you know, uh, then, you know, you had gym class, different things like that, and, uh unbeknownst to me originally, I thought about this after you and I had a conversation, one of my gym teachers was the coach of the junior high school team. You know, so he knew me, he didn't know me, and like you said, I wasn't paying attention to it, but there was a little bit of a buzz about me um, being at the school and playing. So what happened, tryouts came, and it was it was clearly written, you know, for the trials that sixth graders couldn't try out right? Six Uh ladies did not try out. And I was like, no. I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) You know, I was like, no, uh uh-uh. You know, because you got a a little glimpse of different people in the school, and I knew Ike Parker was there. I knew that Archie Joyner was there, who's another big-name player from the community. Um, There were some big-name players there. I said, nah, you know, I I can hang with these guys. Even though they were older than me, I thought that I could hang. So I snuck into the tryouts, right? And right. I remember sneaking in, and they'll, you know, you always have, you know, we didn't call them haters back then, but, you know, you had, you always have your haters. And there were some guys that wanted to, to blow up my spot and tell me. And uh, Ike Parker actually was, you know, more I think of it, he was really a guardian angel in my earlier years. He, um, you know, he quieted the noise, and I, I went through the tryouts. And, and lo and behold, I get to the final tryouts, you know. I'm, I'm again, playing against older guys, bigger guys, stronger guys. But I make it to the final. I make it to the final tryout, and one of the gym teachers, who actually, actually was a science teacher as well. I don't know if you remember, Mr. Brenner. He came in, and I didn't know that he and Coach Zajac had a relationship. And he came in, and uh, he sees me sitting there because you know before I could hide in the crowd because when there was like twenty, forty kids in the gym, you know he would come in there, but I could hide. You know I was kind of dumb. I didn't want right. to see me. You know, <laughs> but right. now it's down to the final cut. So there's only like maybe 12, 15 guys in the gym, right? So you can't hide now. He comes in the gym, and uh he goes to Coach Dayjack and says, what's he doing here? He says, oh, who? He says, Piggies, what, what's he doing sitting here? And he goes, well, he, you know, he tried out for the team. He says, you know he's in the sixth grade, right? So now the coach had a dilemma. You know, he started to – he wanted to let me go, but the other guys, you know, said, hey, look, he earned the right to be here. The coach thought that I earned the right to be there. So my first school team was at junior high school, 192, and I made the varsity team, quote, unquote. um, There was only one team, but I made the team (laughs) um, at the sixth grade. So so that's where it started.
0: Okay. So – You're playing and you're having a lot of success, right? CYO, community teams, the school team, as you just described. But at the same time, right, at around this time, there were some challenges that hit your life, some tragedies and some other challenges that hit your life and had a dramatic effect on you. Um, Share with us what you will about some of those things.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, coming out of junior high school, uh, eighth grade, at that particular time, again, like you said, my name started circulating. I started being approached by various different people to play with their various different teams and uh, on the outside. And, and, you know, life was great, you know. I loved, you know, I was doing the thing that I loved. I, you know, I was playing the game that I loved. And, uh, you know, like you said, I was uh, – reaching a level of success and notoriety. And then um, that summer, that summer uh, between 7th and 8th grade, my older brother, police officer Thomas Pegues, was murdered on duty. And um, that gave me a real different perspective about life. Um, And it just it shook me to my core because he was my, he was my idol. He was my, he was my rock, you know, he was, you know, everything to me. He was very, we were very, very close. And, um you know, his life was tragically and suddenly taken. And then at that particular juncture, um like I said, everything for me changed, my perspective changed. Um, it was devastating to my family, particularly to my mother and um it just wasn't as important you know uh as it as it once was it didn't hold the, the 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 luster in my life um that it once had it didn't hold the prominence that it once had because you know again i you know had lost someone who was very close to me i saw the effects of it on my mother i saw the effects of it on my family and it was hard to figure out because i was basically left spiraling down with no, you know, imagine a, a, a ship without a rudder, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The motor's sure. rolling, but without but without a rudder, it's just going any direction, and in all probability, it's going to, you know, hit dry land or it's going to sink, you know? So uh, it was a rough time, and, you know, we were, as you know, we were living in a community where there was prevalent gang violence, there was prevalent mm-hmm. drug addiction. There was a lot of different choices, you know. So I thank God that I was able to navigate that pretty much unscathed. But, you know, I do have a few scars, you know, that I did collect because of the experience. So that was that was a turning point, uh, an actual turning point in my life when it came to sports.
0: Right. And, and, and you, you, you talked about it a little bit here about – the game didn't have that same appeal and everything else. And and understandably so, right? I mean, this is a tragedy, you know, your brother, uh, for your brother who is also a role model, you're close to him and everything else. But you did continue to play, right? And how difficult was that? Because, again, you're well-known, you know, in the community, among the coaches who are coaching, whether in school or, you know, community teams and, and, and that sort of thing, AAU teams. And I'm sure people are still expecting you to play. So, how did you deal with that—the expectations that you, sh- you know, you sh- should still be playing, but yet you're dealing with this tragedy at the same time?
1: Yeah, that was that was odd. <laughs> you, you, you know, you know it's not humorous, but it's, I, I laugh mm-hmm. ironically because now that you, you remind me that it was a very odd space, you know, yeah. because it was, you know, I had, I was blessed with such ability that I have to tell you, Jeff, a lot of times mentally, I might have been going through the motions, but I was vacant. You
0: mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? I'm so, like
1: in the midst of the game, and I'm not thinking about the game. You know, I'm thinking about the last time I spent time with my brother or, you know, I'll never forget, you know, the night when when the officers and my sister in law came to the house and that that sh that, that scream that my mother that wail that she let out when uh. they told her that her son had been killed. So I always have the thoughts like that. You know, I might have been playing the games and stuff and I don't even and to be quite honest, I don't even know Someone else outside of me would have to tell me, but I don't even know whether or not my ability had dropped down or, you know, my game, you know, took a step backwards or whatever it was. But a lot of times when I was playing those games, I was baking, you know. And at that particular time, again, my focus shifted because I didn't have the guidance of my, my brother, and street agents started to approach me. And uh, if the audience isn't familiar, or if they're not familiar with street agents, they are they're guys that are always hanging around, mm-hmm. you know, because they want to be connected to the next player and this stuff. And there's certain inducements and certain enticements that they gave. I can't tell you how many pairs of free sneakers I got and how much gear I got and, you know, how it, got, it actually got to a point where, you know, my ability had taken me to a place where, you know, I would actually charge, like, somebody would want me to play for one of their pickup teams, I would actually charge them to play for them really yeah you know i would charge him say, listen well you want me to play today you know you got to give me two hundred dollars and two pairs of sneakers huh. and they would do it <laughs> you know they would do right. it so uh it was like that you know so my my focus had started to 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 really drift you know and now i'm being recruited by high schools and my my Really, my perspective is, to answer your question, people were asking me, yeah, do this, do this, do that. But internally, you know, the thing that I found very ironic, no one ever asked me how I was doing. Mm. Wow. Nobody asked me how I was doing. Nobody said, hey, man, listen, are you all right? You know, it wasn't that. It was like, listen, we got a game today. Go get some buckets. Let's win this game. Let's win this championship. Let's get this little trophy. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> This is what's really important right now, you know. This is not what's going on. I'm, 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 I need help. I need to converse. I need to have a conversation. And unfortunately, in in the black community, when we are faced with tragedies or faced with issues, one of the things that we are not really at, you know, good at is having conversations. We just deal with the situation and we move on, and and. I needed to talk to somebody at that period, during that period of time. And I didn't, yeah. you know, wasn't available that opportunity.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that really had to be tough because again, you were always around older people as we talked about, you know, from playing up from a young age. And then you have all these expectations among older people, right. Who are pulling at you, wanting you to continue to play the game. So, um, you did end up going to high school and playing for the high school team Andrew Jackson which was one of the better schools in Queens um you know tell us a little bit about that experience uh at Andrew Jackson and and also what's going on you know at home and 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 with you personally
1: well um during that particular time again I you know I was recruited and like you said Andrew Jackson was uh was a powerhouse <laughs> you know perennial it was still close you know because you and i we we went to all the close proximity schools we went to 134 we went to 192 and going to jackson was actually a little stretch for us because that was more than three blocks <laughs> so you know going in, it was a great experience um the the awesome thing was that your older brother had gone there my older sister had gone there. They both graduated from there, so there was a history there. And uh, I walked into the school, and, again, you know, it's a big environment, and as you said, my, my, my name preceded itself. So, you know, there were people that wanted to test me and wanted to challenge me, you know, uh, you know, on the court and even off the court. But, you know, I, I felt like I started to, to, to come out of it, you know, but then the next thing hit. Because during that phase, uh my mother contracted cancer, so I'm like, "Here we go again. I-, I thought I was catching my breath from one situation, now there's something else to deal with and um unfortunately, back then, they didn't have the type of treatments that are available now back then, you know, so dealing with that situation, and I go through freshman year and my mother's not doing well, and you know uh just. You know, still trying to recover from the loss of my brother, and you get like you said the demands, the expectations. I'm supposed to be this and that, and people projected me to be all-city player and all this other stuff. And I'm really, I really mentally just, I checked out. I really uh-huh. <laughs> I was going through the motions, but mentally, I just checked out. I was like, hey, man, look, you know, there's other stuff going on out here, you know, that's vastly more important than. Uh, basketball. You know, I just lost my brother. Now, I'm faced again with another loss because you know, generally we grew up with someone that you knew, family member, you, whatever, contracted cancer, the inevitability was that they were going to die. So now you know, the stakes are even higher. First I lose my brother, now I'm about to lose my mom. Uh, (laughs) You know? So I'm like, ah. So you know, we fought through the freshman year and I I had a decent year and Then the next year, you know, I made it to the varsity um, because I was on JV, and I made it to the varsity for the the next year, and and that was a great experience. I was surrounded by some good guys, but I still wasn't there. My mother was digressing um, in her health, and I have a baby my Mm. mom one year, 16 years old. So now Mm. things are compounding themselves, and uh, went through that, you know, sophomore year, didn't play much, you know, under varsity. Um, but my mother's digressing. Now I'm about to have a new I'm about to have a newborn child and uh it just it just things started escalating. So basketball just really, really, really wasn't a priority at all. <laughs> you know, at that particular juncture. You know, I would play in the street games and, you know, make you know, pick up a few dollars here and there. But uh in terms of priority on education and priority on playing sports at that particular time. It just wasn't, it just wasn't there.
0: Yeah. At that juncture. Yeah. I mean, and with all those challenges and, and, and the emotions you had to be going through, it's understandable um, that that's, you know, and, and you're young, right? You're 16. <laughs> yeah. And yes. in a lot and, of ways. And
1: myself. <laughs> yeah.
0: You
1: know,
0: right. So, all right, so here you are. You're in tenth grade now. You're on the varsity team and everything else, but you have all these things going on, right? You know, you have a baby on the way. Your mom is 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 you know getting worse. Uh, her health is getting worse. And what happens here? I mean, uh, uh, just uh, tell us how how things progressed. I mean, things get better. What what, what happened?
1: Actually. Um, Things didn't get better. You know, um, eventually, um, before that season was over, I failed off the team because, you know, I just couldn't focus Uh the school and stuff wasn't getting done. I failed off the team, so I didn't get to finish that season. Um, My mother is bedridden. My girlfriend at the time, who later became my wife, she's about to to give birth because my son was born in May. So it's it's that going into that summer, right? And um, so my son is born that May. My mother is getting progressively worse. She's she's pretty much at the end because she actually, that's why the, the, the first day of summer, June 21st, has a tremendous significance for me because that's the day that my mother passed away. Mm. So my son is born May 26th, and just about a month later, um, my mother dies. Now, in between that, after I failed, out, failed off the team, I dropped out of school, my mother was bedridden, and she was home most of the days because my father still had to go out to earn a living. My older siblings had moved out of the house and, and everything else, and it was just me and my youngest sister. So I had to take on a new role. I had to make sure that my sister went to school and was doing what she was supposed to do. I'm trying to be available to the mother of my son, and I wanted to be there for my mom you know, so I'm juggling a whole lot of different balls all at the same time, you know what I mean, all the while, you know, I'm tearing apart inside, because I'm first and foremost, you know, I'm not doing what I was gifted to do, I wasn't playing basketball really anymore, and I got all these other situations going on, and everybody's like treating me like I'm invisible, because see, when you're up, everybody's with you, but when you got a problem, you can't find nobody, so it yeah. was it was a very trying time.
0: It was a very trying time. And so just take us through. I mean, how how did you know, you you're at this point. Um you you drop out of school and 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 you said uh, you know, on June twenty first, you know, your mom passed away. Um so you're dealing with all these things, right? Your brother, your your mom, you, you have a new baby and all that, you drop out of school. But eventually you did go back. You have said to me on one occasion, you made a promise to your mom that you would go back and finish school. And so you eventually kept that promise. So, you know, pick up from there and let us know, you know, what happened? You know, how did you end up doing that? And where did you go from there?
1: Actually, I went back to I went back to Jackson, and they had a, a you know. Fortunately, when I was doing school, I was like in the top percentile of my class. So uh, when they looked at my records, you know, they didn't want to generally make me a statistic and cast me to the side because they saw academic potential. So they put me in a program called the Academy, which was a, 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 a advanced educational unit inside of Jackson. It wasn't like we didn't take regular classes like everybody else, but we took specialized classes with specialized instructors. So I was able to get in there. And um, through the academy, um, I was able to get my diploma. And at that time, I also uh, was maintaining a job. My father made sure that I had a job. So we worked together at Mercy Hospital in Long Island. So I would go to school and they, they worked with me. I would go to school part today day, and then I would be able to leave, and then I went to my job, and I worked there part-time. And, uh, you know, that's basically how I graduated high school. But fortunately, I was able to, um, you know, take some college courses to get caught up and everything. And, you know, one thing led to, to another. I had a lot of support in there, and, uh, you know, that's how I got past and got through that phase. You know, at that time, you know, I, I realized the responsibility. My son was born then. You know, I said, look, I I can't go out like this. I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't exposed to that. I made a promise to my mom. So I did take the steps to finish up. And that's how I was able to graduate.
0: Yeah. And and one other thing, right, we were talking earlier about, you know, the close-knit community in Hollis, Queens and and things like that. And at the time when we were growing up, many of the households were two-parent households, right? I mean, not all, but many of them were. And we grew up at a time when, you know, the neighborhood would parent you. You know what I mean? In other words, if a neighbor saw yeah. you doing something, they would tell you. And that, you know, hey, I'm going to tell your mom or they'll just tell you to stop doing what you were doing. Um, mm-hmm. And when you said you made the promise to your mom of finishing school and you end up doing it, there was an expectation not only from our parents, but from other parents on the block. You're going to school. Right. You know, you you are going to go to school. And so to hear you talk about that and how you were able to do it um, is really a a function of how we grew up. And um, I'm glad for that and glad that you were able to do it. Um, So let's transition from there. So because after you got, you know, you got through school, you did spend some time in the military and it was in the military that you got reacquainted with your first love, which is basketball, right? So, um, yes. bring us into that phase of your life.
1: Well, I get out of school. I work for a little while. I'm raising my son. Um, at that particular not at that particular time, the the community was really starting to break apart because it, it was rampant with drugs. It was there was just so much, you know gang violence there's so many other things that could have led me down the wrong path but i knew instinctively and internally that that was not who i was made out to be that wasn't the life that i wanted to live it wasn't the example i wanted to set for my son so uh i'll never forget i went to the recruiting office on jamaica avenue (laughs) right and i actually i took the test you know to give you a little exam that you got to take or whatever and I took the test, and then all of a sudden, all I don't know how they did it, whatever. But all of a sudden, all these recruiters are running at me, saying, "Oh, you know, join the army, join the navy, join the air force," and, and it was it, it was because of the the score that I got. It was so reflective. So, my brother, one of my brothers, had been in the, in. The, Air Force. My other brother had been in, uh, two. other two brothers had been in the Marines. None of us had been in the Army, and I sure wasn't going to go get stuck on nobody's boat for six or seven months at a time, so the Navy wasn't <laughs> an option. Right. So I joined. So I, I went and joined the Army, and here's the reason why. I'm going to tell you quite honestly why I joined the Army. I joined the Army because at that particular juncture, I needed to get, I wanted to do something physical. I needed to get I needed a release Jeff. i really needed a, a release a, a physical release an emotional release so i said okay if i go in here and i just do a thousand push-ups a day and run and do all this great stuff that i've seen on the commercials you know
0: right
1: work. you know so went and, went and enlisted um and as God would have it, I went to basic training not too far from where you live. I went, I, I did basic training in Fort Dix, um, just before they kind of closed it up, and uh, went there, went to went to school there. And as just as we're getting ready to leave, you know, they give you your orders, they let you know where you're going to be stationed, right? So I was in a class of about sixty people, and people are getting their orders getting their orders getting their orders now here's the thing sometimes if they don't cut your orders they'll hold you back which means you're like in limbo you're not really in the army you're not really out of the army but you just got to hang around i didn't want that to happen so lo and behold long story short i get the opportunity to go to europe everybody else has got their orders i'm worried because there's like six or seven of us who haven't gotten our orders yet and i'm like lord i don't want to be a holdover and I'll never forget that day. We're standing in ranks, and um, and prior to this, I actually had a vision of going on a long plane ride. And they announced the sergeant announced my name and told me that I was going to Germany. Now, think about this, Jeff. You and I were born in Hollis, right? The closest that we ever got to Germany was watching Wild World sports at that time.
0: So, or Hogan's Heroes.
1: <laughs> exactly right. So here I am. You know. I get my order, I get to go to Germany, and I'll never forget it. One day, it was like an 18-hour flight. Again, never been on a flight that long. And one day I'm standing on the corner of 205th Street in Hollis, and then the very next day I'm standing in a country where I can't read the signs, I don't understand the language. Right. Nothing, right? So they just totally uprooted me. I go to Europe, and long story short, again, um, I was there. I was there in total almost three years, two and a half years. But my first year, I go to the rec hall, and I said, you know what? I'm here. I'm away from everything. I'm away from everybody. I was able to think and clear my head. And I started going back to the gym. You know, I just started because we had a rec hall, it a nice facility. You know, coming from where we came from, it was a nice facility, <laughs> you know, and everything. I was like, hey, man, listen, they got baskets. They got lights. I'm good. You know, so – started playing started shooting around started getting myself back in shape started feeling better started clearing my mind and then one day i'm playing and i'm playing with this lieutenant and we're just out there balling. i thought we're just balling playing little to my you know i didn't know that um my company commander owned a professional team actually owned two but he owned the team in the town that i was in which is permissons And he sent the guy over, and we started conversating, and then uh, he asked me to come down to a tryout. And I went to the tryout, and I made the team. Now, the thing about it was it, it wasn't the military team. It was a professional team for that particular town. And the rules were you could only have two Americans on the team. So there was like six of us that tried out. I beat the other guys out. There was a veteran that was there. So I made the team. And that was awesome because it created additional income for me and my family, my new family. And it got me out of doing military details. So it was awesome.
0: Hmm. So you're getting paid to play basketball now, right? You're getting paid to play. You're playing in Europe. You're playing in Germany. Um, did you see other parts of the world as you were playing? Did you travel around and, and play in other countries?
1: Well, yeah, we traveled all around Germany. We went to Italy, went to Spain, we went to Amsterdam. And uh believe it or not, see, I was there before the wall came down. We actually did a couple of exhibitions in East Germany, which that was a trip in and of itself. Because if people don't know, the KGB is real—that secret military thing. You know, we went to practice and came back and found out they had went through all our stuff to look mm. for whether or not we had—we were, you know, spies. You know, it it was wow. really crazy, <laughs> you know, to do all that. But yeah, we went to England. We went to France. You know, I think I mentioned Italy, you know, so yeah, we did get to travel around a little bit.
0: Okay, and you mentioned that you were in the army what, two and a half or three years, something like that. So is that how long you played or did you play after the army?
1: Um, I came back. I played two and a half years in the military and then I you know, I came back and I played in some some semi pro leagues here back here in the States, you know, you know, they had the Rucker pro league, different things like that. So, I, you know, I played in those things just because I just wanted to keep playing, you know, and it, it kept me out of trouble, just because, you know, going at that particular time, when I came back, when I came back to the United States, that's when the crack epidemic broke. And I, being out of the country, I had no idea what that even was, you know. Yeah. Now, the thing about notoriety is this, you know, when we grew up, you know, the, the dope boys knew who you were, you know, because a lot of times when I was playing in games and stuff like that, they were on the side betting on the games and doing all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. And they, and they also, you know, this may sound kind of counterintuitive, but later on, I realized a lot of those guys that were in the drug game who knew who I was and knew my story, they actually created ways for me to have a hall pass to be able to travel through games, to go into different neighborhoods. And basically there was a couple of people who were well-known who put the word out that, listen, he's not to be touched under no circumstances. So with the notoriety, when you come back, you know, now they're approaching you differently. Like, hey, you know, you can play on my team. They had, they sponsored teams or whatever. But then it was like, hey, listen, won't you run this package for me? Or won't you do this oh, and do that? Sure. And I was like – I was like, uh, nah, you know. I was like, nope. That's not. That's not what it was about. Again, my son, my son is a little bit older now. You know, I'm really thinking about. I did get married while I was in the military to my to my girlfriend, and it just instinctually wasn't the path that I wanted to go on. So I had to do something different, and that's when I began to. Uh, that's when I decided to become an entrepreneur.
0: Mm-hmm. And 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 that's the thing, again, as I said earlier, uh, when I reconnected with you on social media, I saw a lot of the things you were doing in that regard. Um, I know years, you know, you had a real estate business at one point, and then you started, you know, doing some other things that you'll tell us about. But the thing that struck me too, Reg, was not only were you building businesses to take care of yourself and your family, But you were and you are helping other people do the same thing. And that's the thing that, for me, really resonates. And so tell us a little bit about both of those things, the businesses you built uh, for you and your family, but also the work that you're doing to help others do the same thing.
1: Well, yeah, it it was was awesome. Um, Actually, I was working for a realtor. And I ended up uh, being one of the top realtors in his office. Now, mind you, I had no experience. I had no idea. I just, you know, for me, I always loved to play Monopoly. So I figured real estate was the next best thing, but the only real difference was the money and the houses were real. (laughs) <laughs> so right. it was a real cool thing it was a real cool thing to do. But, you know, you know me, Jeff. I've always had a heart for helping people. That's one mm-hmm. of the things that I, I'm so grateful for. I am just so grateful for. And uh so being able to do that, you know, coming out and being a high school coach and being able to coach my son through school and, and to build businesses was an amazing thing because it was always that spirit of first gratitude and then the spirit of helping other people. So mm-hmm. with the real estate, I was able to do a lot of different things. Uh, at that particular time, that's when a lot of people were losing their homes in foreclosure. We were able to put a conglomerate together where we were helping people. If the situation was too far gone, we were able to at least negotiate where they didn't walk away with nothing, that they were able to have at least some money to for a fresh start. Or if we were able to come in and save the home for them, we were able to do that. So that's what we were doing initially. We would buy and flip, you know, hold and and rehab, different things like that, wholesale properties. Um, After that, that's when when the Internet started really popping off, you know what I mean? Well, it was kind of forced on me because the real estate market, remember, there was a little bit of a crash. That's when the bubble burst. And there was a mess there, so I really didn't want to deal with that, and I was looking for other things that I could do. I could spend more time at home and got involved with various projects that involved the Internet. So I started building businesses online, uh, using social media. Um, and along the way, I was introduced to learning financial principles, You introduced to using financial literacy, using biblical principles. So that just works for me. You know what I mean? Uh. It, it just brought everything together, being able to understand that, that abundance is everywhere, prosperity is everywhere, and just because you get your share doesn't mean that it's taken away from anybody else, as right. many people are taught to think. You know, and that's one of the major problems why people don't go after abundance because they think that by them becoming blessed and becoming wealthy is taking something away from somebody else, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. So my campaign basically through the stuff that you see me do online and working with other entrepreneurs, particularly new entrepreneurs to the industry, is to help them to get the right footing, starting off on the right things, teaching them attraction marketing instead of having to do active prospecting and teaching them how to build their, their businesses to be successful through phases of, uh, trying true true improving strategies. Sure. that's basically what I'm doing right now.
0: Yeah. And as I said, I mean, you know, I, I see some of the things that you're doing, I don't see all of it, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. You and I are going to connect offline and talk more and, 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 and work more together on some things, but you know, Reg, we're going to have to close Absolutely. in a couple of minutes, but. You know, Bob. your story, and I said this to you before, and I might have said it at the outset, to me is a powerful one because of the journey that you took. And, you know, this is a a sports-themed podcast, but it's more than that. It's really about life. And, and you know, your journey, as I said earlier, the intersection of life and sports with basketball, a guy coming from Hollis, Queens. We're both from Hollis, right? And we're grateful for the journeys that we've had and i just wanted to really uh, give you an opportunity to share what i think is a powerful testimony about so many things you know the things you've gone through the challenges you had to face the things that you've overcome and now you're there you know uh positioned to help other people um fulfill their dreams and i just think it's a great a great thing that you're doing and just want to keep encouraging you man to keep at it man Um keep at it because you're doing great work.
1: Jeff, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate your listeners. And uh
0: perhaps you'll come to have me back
1: and we could do a part two on this.
0: (laughs) But (laughs) yeah. yeah. I mean because no doubt. I mean, because here's the thing, you know, I I will tell you this. You know, we've talked about a bunch about being from Hollis Queens. I wear that proudly and I'm sure you do too. You know what I mean? I mean, Absolutely. that's part of who we are. And um, you know, it, 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 it's something that for me and for you, I, I know it just resonates with us each and every day that we came from the beginnings that we, we have, and we know a lot of people who didn't make it right. We know a whole bunch of people
1: Absolutely.
0: who didn't make it Absolutely. out and so you talked about the gratitude that you have and how that lead led you to generosity and sharing your time and sharing your experiences and all those things to help others because that's what true gratitude does right it leads to generosity and so um yeah man i want to always be mindful of those beginnings because it helps keep me grounded and i think it's the same for you and that's what sort of propels you forward to do what you're doing right now, so it's to me, it's all good.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Hey Jeff, I I didn't tell you this, but I have a free gift for your listeners. What's Anybody that? Anybody listening that's interested in in being an entrepreneur, I have a free PDF giveaway of how to fire your boss. So if anyone is interested, you can reach me on Facebook at Reggie Pegues. That's R E G G I E P E G U E S on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Reggie R E G G I E B P E G U E S, or you can email me at prosperingdad at outlook dot com and just say put in a comment or put in the title um, 360 Sports and you'll get this free giveaway that I
0: have for you guys. Well, that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, now, let me ask you, though. Let me ask you. Do they have to put in 360 Sports? Because I don't know what that is. Or do they have to put in oh, Sports sorry. 360? Because that's what.
1: Sports 360. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Sports 360. Please forgive me.
0: Okay, you can edit
1: that for out. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I want them to reference your show so that way I know it's you. <laughs>
0: no doubt. Well, appreciate that, man. How to fire your boss? Um, uh, that that's a good one. I just hope that my guys don't hear that because I'm about to go back to the office right about now. So <laughs> <laughs> let's hope not.
1: Let's hope not. Well, yeah. it, it can
0: always
1: it can always share my philosophy. The thing that I learned: I worked a full, you know, my story is I worked a full time job, I built a part time business until I was able to fire my boss.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Well, Reg, man, again, good good catching up. Um, we're not done catching up, and, and, and we'll continue to stay in touch. But um, I want to thank you again for coming on today.
1: Jeff, I want to thank you for having me. I appreciate
0: you. All right. Uh, Reggie Pegues, everybody. I enjoyed that conversation with my childhood friend, Reggie Pegues. I hope you did, too. Reggie's basketball odyssey has taken him to many places, some highs and some lows. But most powerful of all, basketball became a lifeline when he desperately needed it and helped him emerge victorious out of a serious downward spiral. Now, Reggie's serving as a mentor, life coach, and supporter to others who aspire to go higher and realize their dreams. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe. If you haven't done so already, and feel free to hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. But right now, I have to go. My man Scully is ready to take me home, but I'll be back. And I hope to see you next time when we meet again right here on Sports 360.